we think about this whole issue of renewal, we think about what will change, what will bring uh, optimism or, or, or what will bring the kind of renewal that we long for, what will fulfill or who will f- fulfill all of our hopes and dreams. <clears throat> you realize we're kind of always in political season. And part of the political season and campaigns over the next year as we think about a presidential election and all the other things associated with that, one of the things that uh, presidential candidates will do will be to consistently identify a problem, blame the other side or the other candidate, and then to suggest how that person, they are the, the answer to the renewal that we so much desperately long for. See, in times of national, national or uh, depression or low morale, there's a consistent thread or theme or, or song that rings out that says, we need change, we need renewal, we need hope. Think about the uh, 1930s and the Great Depression in our country decade or more of, of depression, of, of low morale nationally, and people longing for renewal, for hope. Think about the post-Civil War Reconstruction era, a difficult season in our, uh, in our country, but yet people were longing for something that would renew society. Even a little bit closer, the 2008 Great Recession, or the housing crash, left many people devastated and, and some on Wall Street jumped to their deaths because they felt so much depression over that. But see, low points of society or low points nationally lead all of us to cry out for something to renew us, for hope, for change. And see, in our passage today in 1 Samuel chapter 7 comes in a similar season of low morale and depression for the nation of Israel. You remember some things from this passage or from this uh, chapter or this book so far. Um, in chapter three, Samuel was established as the prophet, and he, but yet he returned to the shadows for a little while while uh, while God dealt with the judgment of Israel. Remember, he judged Eli, the priest, and his sons. He uh, judged the nation of Israel. He even judged the Philistines when the, the back and forth of the Ark of the Covenant. They failed to honor the Lord as holy. The nation of Israel tried to manipulate the Lord for their own selfish gain. And this led to a deep and prolonged depression for the people. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 2, we read this. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kareth Jerem, a long time passed, some 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. 20 years. Two whole years. Decades. That's longer than our Great Depression. That's only half as long as what their ancestors would have spent wandering in the wilderness, but still it's a long time. And they lamented. They longed after the Lord. They they sought out renewal. They desired change. But the question is: who or what would provide it? What, What would be who would end this depression? Who would bring that kind of renewal they most desperately longed for? Do you feel a need of renewal in our day at all? In our own state, we have very important questions about the personhood of individuals, specifically those in the womb. We feel a national chaos as it seems as if leaders can, cannot join together, unify for the common goals and good of our country. We feel global conflict on the brink. 
This causes uncertainty, fear, and despair. Does anyone feel the need of renewal? See, in 1 Samuel 7, we see the renewal of Israel. And in these verses, we'll see the lessons and the requirements of our own renewal as well. If you would, please stand the reading of 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 3 and following. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, gather all Israel at Mitzvah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mitzvah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mitzvah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mitzvah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord of Israel, for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion, and they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went up out of Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below beth Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzvah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace also between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzvah, and he judged Israel all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there he also judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord." This is God's word. You may be seated. So here in the midst of the national depression, low morale of the people, we see their renewal. And in this renewal, we find lessons for our own renewal as well. In fact, we'll see three requirements, if you're following on your worship program, three requirements of renewal. We'll see that renewal requires a real repentance, an intentional intercession, and a lasting leader. And this isn't just the renewal that we long for. This is the renewal that we need. Three requirements for renewal. Number one, renewal requires real repentance. Renewal requires real repentance. After 20 years of laments, the people finally came to their senses. senses. We, we read that 20 years just in a second, but imagine the weight of that time, 20 years of lamenting. Now, obviously, we don't know all that was taking place in the midst of that, but, but some commentators uh, believe that 
Samuel was probably preaching to them, calling to them, calling them to repentance and faith that entire two decades. That's a long time. And while, again, we don't know everything, we do finally see the result of it in verse 3. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. See, the emotion of the moment compelled the people to change. It says in verse 4, so the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only. They, they, they were overwhelmed in the moment by the weight of their sin and they said, yes, finally, we will turn. They were deeply emotional over it. One commentator says that it is well to have tears and sobs and sorrows over sin. Repentance frequently begins with grief and a consciousness of one's misery, but True repentance consists of something more substantial. See, the people of Israel were overwhelmed by the weight of their sin, and yet uh, just being overwhelmed by the weight of their sin, having grief of their sin, needed to lead them to actually change their hearts and behaviors. We, we might feel something similar in our own day as well. We might be uh, caught in our sin. We could be ashamed of it. We can feel embarrassed by our sin, and yet it may not always lead to lasting change. But Samuel says here, if you're going to return to the Lord with your whole heart, three things need to be true about you. He says, first, you need to put away the foreign gods. Then he says, direct your heart to the Lord. And finally, serve him only. And see, the people actually follow through on what Samuel calls for. They follow through action. They put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth and they serve the Lord only. Now, to be clear, the Baals and the Ashtaroth were a, a type of a Canaanite god, the god and goddess of the Canaanites. They were represented a, a fertility religion. And part of the worship of them wasn't just bowing to, uh, before the statutes. Part of the worship of these gods was sacred prostitution. An oxymoron if I ever thought of one. But the people not only needed to put away the images, they needed to cease the practices. So they turned from those practices, they turned from those idols, and they worshiped the Lord only. In verses 5 through 6 then, it goes even further to communicate their repentance. Samuel gathered all of Israel at mitzvah. This was a national gathering for the sake of national repentance. This was not something they were just doing in their own prayer closets. Repenting of their sin. No, they gathered corporately to communicate one thing. We have sinned against the Lord. They knew that they needed to be changed. They recognized that what their sin had done was to separate them from a holy God. And it says that they came together and they poured out water. They gathered water and poured it out. This communicates a pouring out of their hearts before the Lord, that they were holding nothing back. They fasted and they confessed. We have sinned before the Lord. Already we can see the differences in the people in this chapter, in chapter 7, uh, compared with chapter 4 earlier in 1 Samuel. In chapter 4, remember, they're defeated. They ask, why did this happen? So then they try to manipulate God to get their victory. But here, here, finally, they're saying, Lord, 
We've been defeated. We have nothing to offer. We simply repent. We have sinned against the Lord. These verses, I think, give us three marks of real repentance. Three marks of real repentance. Number one, real repentance involves remorse and recognition of our sin. Real repentance involves remorse and recognition of our sin. See, uh, what they recognize here is that they weren't trying to excuse or explain away anything. They weren't caught in their sin and simply tried to say, yeah, but Lord, here's the reason why I had to do that. They didn't try to explain away by saying, but yeah, if you just understood my circumstances or my upbringing or the situation that I was in, well, then you would understand and give me a second chance. They didn't explain away and they didn't excuse they simply owned up, took responsibility, and confessed. See, friends, in the midst of your sin, are you able to recognize that your sin is not just bad habits, mistakes, or shortcomings, but that they are grievous acts of thought, word, and deed before a holy God? Are, are you able to, to confess your sin and in, instead of trying to explain away Instead of just feeling, you know, a sense of, of, of circumstantial, uh, of excuses, are you able to simply say before the Lord, God, I have sinned before you. We've talked a lot in this series about comparing ourselves before a holy God, about having a right view of ourselves and a right view of God. And John Calvin goes on in his theology to say this, man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. See, friends, as we behold who God is and we rightly understand who we are, well, then we are touched in our lowly state. We recognize that we have sinned before God. Are you able to take responsibility for your sin and have remorse and recognize it? That's the first step in real repentance. Secondly, Real repentance involves turning away from sin and turning to exclusive allegiance to the Lord. It involves turning away from our sin and to exclusive allegiance in the Lord. See, sorrow for sin should lead to actually turning away from our sin, to a heartfelt commitment to God. The people put away these false idols, they stop these practices, and they, they place their commitment their total trust, total faith in God alone. Commentator Dale Davis writes, genuine repentance will always be moved beyond wet eyes and moved feelings and stirred emotions. It will cast down idols and cling to the only God. See, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about exclusive, exclusive worship, exclusive allegiance to him. He says that it should look as if you're hating father and mother and family in comparison to follow me. Obviously, he doesn't mean that literally, like we must literally hate, but what he's calling out is heartfelt devotion to himself, to Jesus, that he's worth it to say, it's only about him. Turn from everything else and follow Jesus. He talks that it's impossible to worship both God and money. You can't worship both. You have to choose. We must cast down our idols and serve only him. See, think about marriage vows. Marriage vows. 
When a couple stands before God and these witnesses to make promises of commitments, to, to, to vow to be married, to love each other till death do us part, they are doing two things simultaneously. One of those is that they are rejecting all other options. They're saying everybody else out there is done. I'm finished with them. I'm placing them behind me. And then secondly, they're placing their wholehearted devotion to their spouse, to that person. They're simultaneously rejecting all other options and committing themselves to their spouse. And repentance looks a lot like taking a marriage vow to reject everything else to place our allegiance and faith in Christ. Imagine a husband or wife or a bride or groom, though, who says their vows with a hand behind their back and fingers crossed. Or holding the hand, even worse, of another partner. So you can't serve God and idols. Real repentance is rejecting all other options and placing our faith exclusively, our allegiance exclusively in Christ alone. This is total commitment. Brothers and sisters, is there anything that is getting in the way of your absolute devotion and allegiance to Christ? Have you made vows with your hands behind your back? Have you you made vows to Christ and said, yeah, but I'm still going to chase after those things? It's wholehearted devotion. Finally, real repentance involves a change of patterns and lifestyle that honors the Lord. A change of pattern and lifestyles that honors the Lord. See, this point gets challenging because it's like we're walking the sharp edge of a knife. And if you fall off on one way or the other, you cut yourself. We need to be careful to say that repentance does not equal perfection. Repentance does not equal perfection. Many of us desire to change our sinful patterns, and yet we realize the struggle of sin is real. It's not as easy as we thought it might be. Empowered by the Spirit, enabled by grace, and yet still fighting sin is challenging. But brothers and sisters, the struggle of sin is miles apart from the affirmation of sin. Let me be clear. The struggle of sin is miles apart from the affirmation of sin. To struggle in your sin, to fight your sin, will oftentimes lose a little battle. To to, to struggle your sin, you will feel that continual guilt and remorse over that sin. To, to struggle of sin means you're fighting your inward desires and you'll still have desires to, to act out on sin that you know you shouldn't. But the affirmation of sin is to throw the white flag to the devil. The affirmation of sin says, I know what the word says I sh- how I should live. I know what the word says I should be committed to. But I'm going to try to explain that away in any possible way I can to justify my behavior That's the affirmation of sin. See, but real repentance doesn't look like perfection. It looks like over time, enabled by grace, inspired and empowered by the Spirit, that we see real change. An article I would encourage you to read after this service, of course, is is an article titled uh, Eight Signs of True Repentance. Eight Signs of True Repentance. It's written by Jennifer Greenberg on the Gospel Coalition, an excellent resource And under under this point about seeing a truly repentant person changing their behavior over time, she writes this, a truly repentant person will realize they need God to sanctify their heart. They'll proactively work to change their behavior and take steps to avoid sin and temptation. See, friends, 
while we desire this change, we expect this change over time, that uh, repentance is demonstrated through a life. It's not just spoken through words. And we have all of this in the context of the good hope of the gospel. Jesus, or John writes of Jesus in 1 John 1, 8 and 9, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, Jesus is willing to receive your repentant heart. You can turn to Jesus in repentance because he's willing to receive the repentant heart. You don't have to have it all perfect before you come. Real repentance turns to him in total allegiance. Seats change over time, enabled by the Spirit, all in grace. Because Jesus is that Savior who is gentle and lowly, who is merciful to repentant sinners. Come. The renewal that you need, the renewal that I need, begins with real repentance. That's just one side of the coin. See, we can be sorrow, sor- or sorry for our sin. We can have remorse over our sin. We can desire to turn from our sin, and yet our sin still needs to be paid for. Our sin still deserves judgment. The other side of this coin is, is who will fight that victory? Who will fight that battle? So renewal requires intentional intercession. Renewal requires intentional intercession. See, the Philistines recognize that the Israelites are in a precarious situation. The Israelites seem weak and they're gathered together. They're unable to defend themselves. And remember, when Israel gathered, they're gathering for a prayer meeting, not a military conference. They're gathering to repent of their sin. They're not coming to have war games to be trained for battle. So the Philistines are circling as if hyenas to finally attack the herd. Look at verse 7. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel gathered at Mitzvah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hands of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. See, the Philistines are trying to take advantage of the Israelites, again, precarious situation. They seem vulnerable. They realize that morale is low, depression is high, and they're trying to take advantage of a situation. They're saying, this is our chance to finally end the Israelites. They're weak. They're tired. Let's go. And as Israel heard their plan, they got nervous. Imagine those moments right there. Israel knew they couldn't fight for themselves. They, They weren't ready for a military battle. They, they had no, they, there was no call to arms in the moment. And they could have heard the, heard the rumbling of these Philistines getting ready to attack them. And in verse 8, it says that the people told Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. See, Israel knew that they needed an intercessor. They needed somebody to go between them and the Lord to cry out to the Lord on their behalf. They could not fight for themselves. They could only place their trust in the Lord. And they placed their trust in the Lord through an intercessor. One who would be the go-between. One who would plead their cause. An intercessor is one who intervenes on behalf of somebody else. See, Samuel was this judge. He was the political leader. Being a judge then was a political 
uh, position, not a, a judicial interpreter. He was a prophet. He had been calling the people to repentance and faith this entire time. And he's also the priest. He's the mediator or intercessor between God and man. Samuel's the intercessor, but he doesn't just offer prayer. He offers the sacrifice. Verse 9, so Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Why the lamb? Why the sacrifice? Well, see, someone had to take the punishment for sin. Somebody had to, to endure that justice. There was a wrong that needed to be made right. See, so often people think about, why can't you just forgive? Why doesn't God just forgive? Why does there need to be a sacrifice? But see, to just forgive means that somebody else takes the penalty. If somebody has wronged me, let's say they steal $100 from me, and I just forgive them, guess what? I'm still out 100 bucks. For God to just forgive means somebody still has to take the punishment. There is still guilty, there's still somebody who's guilty in this equation. So Samuel goes with the lamb. And what we find here is that the moment of Israel's greatest weakness becomes the moment of Israel's greatest victory. In verse 10, it says that while Samuel was offering the sacrifice, the Philistines began to come. Verse 10, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. Imagine those moments in a, for a moment. Anyone who is aware of a Civil War history would be familiar with something called the Rebel Yell, where the Confederates would be, maybe before they attacked, they would simply start screaming to intimidate the Union soldiers. And there was some kind of way that would breathe in this kind of fear that was meant for those that they were attacking. I have to imagine the Philistines did something similar. The Israelites were plenty familiar. They're coming and they're coming now while Samuel is offering the sacrifice. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mitzvah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as Beth. Car. See, upon the intercessory prayer and the offering of the sacrifice from Samuel, the moment of their greatest doom became the moment of their most glorious victory. Brothers and sisters, renewal requires an intercessor. It requires one to go before the Lord on our behalf. It requires for somebody to fight on behalf of his people. And here it was through the prayer and the sacrifice of the mediator, of the intercessor, that the enemies of Israel were defeated. Notice verse 10, it says that the Philistines were defeated before Israel. One commentator says that this is a, a divine passive. It's meant to communicate that God was the one who had the victory, not the Israelites. The Israelites were victorious, but they didn't do anything. It was the Lord who thundered in this moment. God had fought on their behalf. See, Israel's finally realizing that their biggest challenge in life was not the Philistines. Their biggest challenge in life, their, most, their greatest need of renewal was not political, was not social, was not economical, was not military. It was about being, the need of being reconciled to holy God, which is why they were able to cry out, 
against the Lord have we sinned. They needed reconciliation with Yahweh. They needed spiritual renewal. Renewal requires intentional intercession. And the reminder for us today, for those of us who know the rest of this book, is that Jesus is a greater intercessor than Samuel. Because Jesus doesn't just offer the lamb. Jesus offers his own life. So we can read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23, The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is the intercessor we need. We come to the Father through the Son by the Spirit. Jesus is that great intercessor who offers up his own life. Friends, what renewal do you think you need most in life? What renewal do you think you need most in life? What problem, if fixed in your life and our society, would say, finally, we are renewed? Let me suggest to you that your primary need of renewal is not political. It's not relational. It's not occupational. It's not economical. Your need, our need of renewal is spiritual. We need our, God, we need our sin paid for before a holy God. We need an intercessor who will do that. This week I watched a brief clip from a popular conservative cultural and political commentator. This gentleman understood the Christian gospel perfectly. Rehearsed it. He talked about Jesus living the perfect life on our account. He talked about his substitutionary death on behalf of sinners and that everybody who responds in faith and repentance is, it can be forgiven. That's what the New Testament teaches. He, he spoke that message. And he says, but I don't believe it. Because only I, only I can pay the payment of my sin. Friend, is that you today? You hear all this talk about Jesus taking your place as a substitute and you say, no, I'll pay the penalty of my sin. But see, if that's your response that you think you can pay the penalty of your sin, then you don't see your sin as any different than a parking ticket or even a felony. Sure, you can do time. Sure, you can pay that parking ticket off. But your sin is so much greater than either of those two things. For our sin separates us from a holy God. And we recognize the need of needing an intercessor. We, we might bring on an attorney if we were, had a case against us. If we were found ourselves guilty in a court of law, we would bring on our, an attorney to intercede on our behalf. But the best attorney will plead your case, but he'll never take your punishment. The best attorney isn't going to pay your fine, nor is he going to take your place on death row. He's not that kind of intercessor. He's not that good. Because an attorney is going to be able to say, I know he's guilty. I know she's guilty. Judge, I hope you give her or him a fair trial. But yeah, they did it. I'm simply pleading the case. But Jesus is that great intercessor who pleads our case before the Father. It doesn't just say, will you let him off the hook? Will you, will you give him another chance? See, the penalty for sin still remains. Jesus is that great intercessor who pleads our case and then takes our place. 
The righteous judgment against our sin goes on the one who intercedes for us, the one who prays, and one who is the sacrifice. Brothers and sisters, the call is to trust in the intentional intercessor, to trust in Christ. He's the one who solves our need for renewal. And our final requirement for renewal is that renewal requires a lasting leader. Renewal requires a lasting leader. Verse 12, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzvah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The cities that the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. From Ekron to Gath, and Israel delivered their territory from the hand of the Philistines. There was peace between God, between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, and he went on a circuit year by year to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mitzvah. And he judged Israel all these places. Then he would return to Ramah, for his home was there, and there also he judged Israel, and he built there an altar to the Lord. See, these events that took place were so significant that they required remembrance. Samuel took a stone, he made a memorial, and he called it Ebenezer, which means stone of help. And now all of us can collectively know where the line from the hymn, Come Thou Fount, really comes from. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I come. Now we could wrongly conclude that when Samuel says, till now the Lord has helped us, to say, well, he's helped us so far, but he may not help us in the future. It's a wrong conclusion. In fact, this very memorial, this very way of remembering was supposed to inspire them to greater trust in the future. God has helped us. We remember how he has helped us and he will continue to help us in the future. The Passover served as that a ritual of reminder for the people in the Old Testament to, be remember, to remember how uh, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost was how God passed over their sin, who led them out of Egypt into a new land, a glorious promised land. And similarly today, we practice communion. And when we participate in communion, we remember, we anticipate, we celebrate God's past, current and anticipate his ongoing work on our, in our lives. When we gather for threefold communion as a family, we're able to, to say, remember how God has helped us? Remember how God has paid the price of my sin? For every time you take this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Remember how great it is to be part of the family of God as we gather for a feast of celebration to, and then anticipate how wonderful it will be to finally be in that glorious city. To have not just a renewed area of life or area of this map, but to have an entire globe be the holy of holies where we are forever with the Lord. Remember how God has been so good. And see, there's peace then, too. There's peace between the Israelites and the Philistines. They get back these cities. They conquer these places. There's peace there. And then there's also peace with the Amorites. This, these uh, undealt with rebels from a previous Canaanite battle. But the essential point here is that Israel had lasting peace from all their enemies because the lasting leader was able to create lasting peace. Friends, we need a lasting leader. 
And while Samuel went on this circuit, this yearly circuit, where he governed and presided over the people, he was the, 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 the judge, the, a type of king. He was the priest who went before the people. He was the prophet calling them back to repentance. And as great as Samuel was, Samuel will die. To remind us that we need a real leader who lasts. Not a leader who will last a couple of terms. Not a leader who will last just a generation. Not a leader who's subject to votes in Congress, term limits, but one who lasts forever. Remember, Jesus is the greater Samuel. Jesus is the leader who really lasts. See, in Jesus' ministry, he brings eternal peace. In Jesus' ministry, he brings righteous judgment. In Jesus' ministry, he brings servant leadership. He continues his ministry of intercession before the Father. See, we long for renewal. We long for the person. We long for the leader who will make all things right, who will provide the renewal that we so desperately need and desire. And Jesus is the only prophet, priest, and king. That lasting leader who can provide for everything. See, brothers and sisters, we will be promised over this next year to have a leader who can provide renewal. And let's make no mistakes here. Some of those leaders will get our votes. But none of them deserve our allegiance and loyalty and worship. Jesus is the only lasting king. Whatever moments of, of uh, spiritual, of state, national, or global depression or low morale you may feel we're in. You could go to lots of churches today that are going to tell you about how difficult things are going to be. You could go to lots of churches today that are going to tell you to hunker down, to, to be safe, and to be careful about what's around. You go to lots of churches today that say we're on the brink of destruction. But brothers and sisters, what if we're not on the brink of destruction? What if we're on the brink of revival? What if God's people would truly repent of our sin before a holy God? What if God's people would truly trust that Jesus has satisfied it all? What if God's people would truly have a hope that is beyond this world? To say that our ultimate goal is to see people from every tribe, language, and tongue respond to the good news of Christ to have their hope on something secure, to have a lasting leader who will make all things new. What if we weren't people waiting for destruction, but people praying for revival, beginning with our own hearts? See, Jesus provides the renewal we so much desperately need. He restores us to a holy God. He intercedes on our behalf so that we might make disciples and be on mission and be renewed through his power. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we repent. On behalf of all of Grace Players Church, Lord, we repent of our sins. We repent of our temptation to trust in self and pride and government to give us what we really want. We repent of anything else that we seek to satisfy, to renew, to provide lasting hope and change. We repent of every 
thought, word, and deed that is not given to glorify you. And Lord, we pray that we would be people who recognize we have nothing to offer except to say that we have sinned before a holy God. Thanks, Lord Jesus, that you are the one who has endured all of the wrath so that we can know that our sin has been paid for, so that we can trust in you as the one who's dealt with it all, who intercedes for us through his prayer and sacrifice that we may have hope and forgiveness of sin. God, may we never waver from recognizing that Christ is on the throne and that you are the one who says, Behold, I am making all things new. Renew us, O Lord, from the inside out, that we might be those who proclaim where real, true renewal can be found. In Jesus' name, amen.